Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, we have a great show lineup for today. I think we have some very important information, I'll say. Always you know, important. Very important. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's maybe not as timely. It's just, it's just information that you need to know and you need to get right when you're thinking about saving for retirement and being successful for the long term. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to start off here talking about retirement steps. These are kind of the checklist of things you need to have in place, you need to have covered before retirement. Really important stuff. Great article out of a recent magazine here. Yeah, and if you um, happen to have saved well and, you know, you're, you're doing some different things from a business standpoint, there's um, the way that millionaires are thinking and, and kind of what you're talking about, Steve, with the retirement steps. If you are a millionaire, you're you know, projected or want to get there. We have some ideas that um, things that millionaires do that a lot of people don't. And, and a lot of it's a mindset and it's kind of what you focus on and, and how you approach things as well. So we'll kind of dive into that a little bit as well. But that's a good good topic as well. Yeah, the things that set you apart mm-hmm. for the millionaires. Yep. That's, that's pretty important. Four items. Yep. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 23 years of providing uh, financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, go to our website, moneymd.net. We have the link to the podcast on there. We also have some other educational videos. We just put another one up there last week about the noise of the market. Um, really interesting uh, video from DFA. They did a great job on it, so check that out. And also a Facebook page. We have a, a weekly post on there. Where it's a video of one of us here in the office talking about whatever the prescription of the week is. Yeah, we ought to give a nod to the Masters, right? That was an exciting... Wasn't it? It's was pretty incredible. Finish. Pretty incredible, yeah. I mean, It's amazing a, how many birdies were on the back nine of the last day. Yes. <laughs> People just they were just crazy. tearing up, you know. And Eagles. It shows how and, good those guys are. They, yeah. uh, and I saw Bubba Watson putt a, make a, a putt a ball into the trap on number two. I saw that. Did you see that? I was watching that. I was like, oh my goodness, that looks yeah, like that something I would like do. a classic mistake. Made me feel better about my putting yeah. day, you know, yeah, so... Anyway, it was an exciting tournament. Hope everybody saw that. And, uh, you know, it was another one for the history books. Yeah, great, great time of the year. It really was. Um, but send us your questions to your emails. Um, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. And we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and uh, has to do with student loan debt. It's about $1.4 trillion as of the end of 2017, and that's doubled, Steve, just over the last eight years. Um, Student loan debt was about $690 billion back in 2009, and so the average student um, today graduates, their balance is about $34,000, which is up 62% over the last 10 years. So we definitely see it as a trend, more and more people um, going to college, which is good, but they're coming out with a lot of debt. Yeah, and so you really have to, we chime on this from time to time, you really have to evaluate how effective your education is and is it worth what you're paying for it? You know, I mean, could you get the same education here at home for half the price Mm -hmm. at a local university? Uh, Maybe go a couple of years here locally to keep the debt down. But you got to make some evaluations about, you know, is the debt worth the education that you're getting 
And are there other ways, are there alternative ways to get that same education and come out with less debt? Because, you know, owing the equivalent of a brand new, nice vehicle mm. when you get out of college yeah. is kind of a tough way to start your career. It is. And, you know, the uh, this article that I uh, got this information from basically said that, uh, you know, a lot of graduates are having buyer's remorse, um, that 57% said they regret taking out as many loans as they did, and 36%, one in three, said they wouldn't have gone to college if they fully understood the associated costs. So it's pretty big numbers. It's a big number. So just, just be smart about it. You know, maybe consult somebody, you know, CPA, advisors like us, before you make the decision to go out and take out these huge student loans to go out of state to some, you know, really obscure, expensive mm. school. Yeah, <laughs> we see it. So we do see it a lot. So uh, interesting fact of the week, though. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is retirement steps. Um, yeah, John, so... This is an article out of uh, Asset Smart, Smart Asset um, by Liz Smith here very recently. And, you know, it's just talking about the checklist of things you need to have in place before you punch the button on retirement. And the U.S. Census Bureau, they state that the average American retires at age 63. Hmm. So if you're wondering when the average person retires, it's right after they can draw Social Security, about a year after, 63. Um, but for retirement, according to the Social Security Administration, is between 65 and 67, and for most people today, it's 67. Right. Before you can draw full benefits. Your employer, you know, may say something different, you know. So when you're deciding to retire, it's one of the hardest decisions that you're going to have to make. Retire late, and you may not have the energy to enjoy it. But if you retire too early, you could end up in financial trouble. So, you know, how do you know when you're truly ready to retire? We're going to talk about some of the things that um, you need to consider um, before you, you make that decision. So this is kind of a checklist here that you can look at or, or talk, think about um, and cross these off before you, before you pull the trigger on leaving your job. First one here is to take inventory of your assets. Um, so first things first, you need to figure out where you stand financially. You know, So you need to have a budget. You need to evaluate the budget, write down your debts, your liabilities, your savings balance, your income stream, your insurance policies, everything that you have. And then don't forget about your your properties, your vehicles, other valuable possessions that you have that affect your bottom line. So a good way to do this is to create a worksheet um, or use an asset inventory uh, list and update that on a routine basis. And this process will allow you to assess your current financial situation and kind of plan accordingly. And as you review, keep in mind that you won't be getting a paycheck once you retire. Experts say that you might need a million dollars to retire comfortably, but um, the Labor of Bureau Statistics says the average person age 55 or older spends about $49,000 per year. And so if it's a married couple, it's probably more like $80,000 a year, but you need to find the real number. You need to do some planning and you need to figure out exactly what the number is that you need to live year by year once you retire. Yeah. The second one on the list, Steve, is build an emergency fund. And we talk about this pretty frequently, but before you can take any you know major financial step, you want to make sure that you're protected should things not go according to plan. And hopefully, you know, at this point you've learned about emergency funds um, and you understand kind of the importance but if for some reason you you know forgotten um, this you know how you gotten this far without the financial security 
blanket. It's time to create one before you go into retirement. Um, you know, emergency funds will cover you in the event of a personal catastrophe. Um, it also can make up for delays uh, if you decide to to wait on pension or Social Security. And most people, you know, Dave Ramsey, and we recommend three to six months. Um, some people say a year. I think having a year is certainly not a bad idea. If you can afford to do that going into retirement, it certainly gives you more flexibility. Um, you know, but the base amount, um, base that amount on six months of expenses, not your income. And remember when you're looking at your expenses to cover things like uh, health care, because your emergency fund needs to transition into retirement for you. So I, I like seeing personally having six, six months, some people have a yep. year and even more because it does give you flexibility when something breaks or you want to take a vacation or maybe the markets are down and just gives you another source to pull from. Yeah. You want to have some cushion in your retirement picture. So certainly <clears throat> six months, I think is a great rule of thumb, but, but more is, is always better. Yeah. Some things That's more right. is better. And when it comes the to cash is good, when it comes to emergency funds, you can never have too much. Um, but you know, and so you need to keep those funds somewhere safe and somewhere separate from your other savings and your checking account so that you're not tempted to spend it. So these really are an emergency fund. Um, you know, a money market account or savings account might be a good option. Um, you know, you may not want to keep an entire year's worth in that, but you want to keep some that's very liquid, that it can't, can't lose money during a down market and can still earn interest. You know, if you have extra, then maybe you have a, a joint account, you know, that's um, invested conservatively, but geared toward a little bit more with a little bit of stock exposure. I think that's fine, too, for kind of the extra above your six mm -hmm. months. So that's what you want to do with the emergency fund. The next step, though, here is to eliminate debt. You know, in an ideal world, we'd all enter retirement without any debt. And that is the position you want to plan for. Um, since your income is likely to decrease, any fixed payments will start to take up a larger share of your expenses. And if you're nearing retirement, it's time to take a look at the debt column of your inventory and add up your interest rates and your terms in a new column beside those outstanding debts. And then you need to figure out how long it's going to take to pay those off and if they're going to be gone before retirement. So how should you tackle your debts? Generally, there are two thoughts on where to start, either by paying down your debts with the smallest balance first or pay the debts with the highest interest rates. We suggest using the smallest balance first approach. Um, that's the Dave Ramsey approach. You know, you build momentum from there. As mm -hmm. Dave Ramsey says, you know, it's not all about math. That's if it right. were, you were, probably wouldn't have debt. <laughs> so, you know, this is called the debt snowball, though. Um, and this is usually you start with credit card debt. Usually those are the smallest or personal loans, car loans. You pay those off. <clears throat> you pay off the smallest one, and then you, you snowball that and add those payments to the next smallest one. And you keep building till you you get a whole bunch of money going toward paying off the bigger debts and you start paying them down very quickly. And so the key is you want to do the math, figure out when those debts are going to be paid off, <clears throat> and and if possible, get them all paid off for retirement or have nothing but your mortgage left maybe for retirement. Um, that's not a bad place to be either, as long as you have enough income to cover the mortgage. So no matter what your repayment strategy is you choose, the most important thing is to stick with it, you know, map it out on the calendar, track your progress, maybe ask a family friend or uh, <clears throat> uh, somebody to help you keep keep you accountable if necessary. So anytime you're successful at paying off a debt, give yourself a small reward, you know, go out to dinner or something and reward yourself, but keep the momentum going 
Get your debts paid off before retirement. I'm surprised you didn't say play a round of golf or something. That's a great idea. Hey, nice maybe, reward. maybe take a weekend, right? <laughs> That's right. Go play like golf it. somewhere. That's a good one. Number four here on the list is determine what your retirement needs are going to be. I mean, before you can retire, um, you've got to decide how you want to retire. That means like where are you going to live? Maybe you know, you're going to downsize. Some people actually like to have a part-time job in retirement, keep them busy. Um, you'll need to do a budget like you talked about earlier, Steve, to make sure you understand what your expenses are. And you also want to be realistic in terms of the retirement length as well. This is difficult, obviously, to predict. Um, so you're going to have to refine your estimate down the line potentially. But we, we look out to age 95. We want to go out there, you know, most people a couple of decades to make sure their money lasts. That's right. And this really is the planning part of the of the stage. And you probably want some help with this part of the process. You know, when you're trying to create an actual plan for where your income is going to come from. Um, but there needs to be a timeline to show when the different streams of income will begin. You know, this will help you manage your cash flow and determine how much you need to save to retire. You know, look to your Social Security account, um, your employee sponsored retirement accounts, um, pension plan if you have it your individual retirement accounts, IRAs. Um, So figure out where all your income is going to come from and be sure you're thinking of each income in post-tax dollars. So after-tax dollars, uh, many retirees, they kind of fail to factor in taxes, but you got to think about taxes um, in your retirement picture. So see how your pre- and uh, post-tax post-retirement budgets compare. So after retirement, you should be more in the 70, 80 percent of your pre-tax income or your pre-retirement income. You know, that's a good rule of thumb for how much you're going to need in retirement. But be very realistic and be prepared uh, as you can be. Make sure you know exactly where the money's going to come from and about how much you're going to need. Again, you may want a financial advisor to help you with this step because it does get a little detailed. So that's return, determining where your retirement comes from. Next step here is to square away your health insurance. You know, health insurance is one of the biggest expenses you'll face in retirement. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics um, survey, health care costs account for an average of 11 to 15% of retirement spending, depending on your age. So don't feel bad if this means that you need to, you know, make an adjustment to step four in terms of how much income you need. You're, you're going to need to make sure you have health care well covered at least until you hit age 65. <clears throat> Once you hit age 65, then you can largely rely on Medicare for your retirement needs. You can get an overall picture of what Medicare's coverage and cost are at their website, medicare.gov. Um, it's a pretty good website. <clears throat> we also did a uh, topic last week on it. As That's well. right. That's right. So, yeah, look back at our previous podcast from last week if you want more details on that. But pay attention to anything that you need um, that isn't covered. There are going to be some things with Medicare that aren't covered. You may want to get a Medicare supplement policy, as we talked about last week. Um, you know, But your health insurance is going to be a real important piece of the picture for retirement. So figure out how that's going to be covered and how that gap's going to be covered up to age 65 when you get on Medicare. Uh, next, you need to plan your estate. Um, you know, no one likes to think about their demise, if you will, but as you near retirement, you're also realistically getting closer to the end of your life. So you need to be prepared with an estate plan and figure out how your assets are going to be distributed after you're gone 
and who they're going to go to and how that money is going to be dispersed according to your desires. Yeah. And you're, you know, make sure that, um, that when you do the will, that you're also doing a power of attorney, um, also a healthcare proxy to make decisions on your behalf, uh, in, you know, in case you, uh, become incapacitated. So those power of attorneys are extremely important. You'll also need to establish guardians for living dependents and appoint beneficiaries on life insurance plans and retirement accounts as well. So you got to look at taxes here too. Um, you know, you don't want your estate to, to bequeath to the IRS. Now there's obviously very large, um, amounts and, and, uh, you know, thresholds on that, but you can craft a letter, um, with any information that hasn't been accounted for, like funeral arrangements or, you know, dissemination of some kind of family heirlooms as well. So just document it, get it notarized and, um, you should be in good shape. Yeah. And keep all those documents in a safe place. Make sure your spouse knows where they are. Include an asset inventory list with that that you update, yep. you know, once a year so that, you know, your your spouse or your survivors know where everything is. That's an important piece of the puzzle. Next one here is investigate retirement investments. Um, you know, it's never a bad thing to have more income. And one of the worst mistakes Americans make in designing their investment portfolio around their retirement date um, is, you know, not not really planning for how that's going to change over time. And it's, you got to make sure that you're going to have enough earnings coming out of your retirement picture and you have a way to draw that you know, earnings out and create those earnings in retirement. So investigate how your retirement investments could supplement your retirement income. Um, keep in mind that your risk tolerance may change as you get older and you stop earning a paycheck. You may want to employ a total return portfolio that kind of allows you to withdraw a certain percentage while working toward a long-term rate of return and a certain, you know, risk level that you're comfortable with. Um, retirement income, mutual funds, government bonds, there's a whole bunch of ways to invest in retirement, but you need to make sure you understand what that picture looks like and it and it makes sense at your risk level for where you're going to be in retirement. Yeah, another one here on the list, Steve, is, um, is learn how to withdraw funds. And this may sound simple, but you know, hopefully, you know, you, over time, you've obviously been investing and you have uh, money in retirement accounts. Maybe you have some some Roth IRA money or maybe you have some brokerage account money. And so then you have to figure out how to pull this out. Once you get to 59 and a half, you can pull uh, the money out of the IRAs without a penalty. You'll still pay federal and state taxes on it. And at age 70 and a half, you have something called a required minimum distribution that you're going to have to take money out. But if you do some planning before that, um, you can try to get some tax efficiency and actually try to reduce your taxes by pulling out of different buckets. So there, this is not easy. It, there's a lot of different moving parts to it. But if you've saved well, you have an opportunity to reduce your taxes. That's right. Another piece of that puzzle is figuring out when you're going to draw your Social Security. This gets more complicated than you might think. So again, for all these steps, you know, you probably want to get some help when you're talking about, you know, pulling the trigger on retirement and making sure that you've kind of you haven't overlooked something in your plan. So if it's nothing more than sitting down with somebody like us that does this every day and just getting somebody to give it a second look over your plan and your picture, um, we would certainly advise that and we're happy to help. But those are the steps for, you know, planning for retirement. It's a good list. I like it. It is a pretty good list. Definitely. And that leads us up here to the question of the week. Yeah, this question is, should I save in an HSA healthcare savings account as a part of my retirement plan? And so this question came from a client and um, they have a match from their work, but they also have the opportunity to put into an HSA. The cool thing about an HSA, which we've talked about before, is it reduces your income today 
and you can invest that money. And then also when you use it in retirement or whenever, when you pull it out, there are no taxes as well. So it's deductible on the front end and the back end. It's the only account like that. Yeah. It's so pretty it's, cool. It's like a combination of a Roth and an IRA together with the benefits of both. That's right. So this particular couple, we use the HSA as a part of their retirement plan, even in front of a Roth. So yeah. it's it, a beautiful picture. It, it's it really a beautiful is. tool for it, retirement. It really is. So HSAs, if you have an opportunity, they you have to be in a high deductible plan in order to get access to it. But if you have the opportunity... It's a phenomenal account. And most employers allow you that option now of picking an HSA qualified health plan and uh, and fully funding that puppy up to sixty seven fifty, I think, for a married couple per year. If you do that for 10 years, heck, you'd have $67,000 in HSA if you didn't draw it out. Mm-hmm. And think that's a great tool for long-term care, for instance. Yep. You know, you can really, if you let that grow and that doubles, you know, that's a pool of money for long-term care expenses. So it can be self-insured. Self-insured. We are a big fan of HSA plans. You definitely want to use those that's to good, your advantage if you can. Good way to stick it to Uncle Sam. Absolutely. <laughs> I like it. All right. That leads up to our next topic here, and that is the four things millionaires do that the middle class doesn't. This is this is a neat, you know, kind of thinking about the mindset mm-hmm. of the ultra rich. Yeah, this comes from CNBC. Uh, Emmy Martin um, wrote this, and you know, becoming a millionaire starts with your mindset. But uh, how you follow through on that, Steve, with your ideas matters. Obviously, even more than the ideas, you've got to follow through with them. Um, so you not only have to think like a millionaire, but you also have to act like one as well. And in the top ten distinction between millionaires and the middle class, um, uh, Keith Smith share some of his insights he gleaned from spending two years working with and studying the ultra-rich, and that uh, includes their actions, their attitudes, that really distinguish them from the average person. So we're going to look at four ways that uh, you can start acting like a millionaire regardless of what's in your bank account. Yeah, and I'll just say, you know, on Keith's list here, um, these are kind of things that the ultra-rich do. These aren't really the traits of the millionaire next door. Right. You know, like uh, Dr. Stanley wrote about, um, you know, those are people that that have gotten to a million or two or three by saving and investing hard and by keeping debt down and just having that attitude of being conservative, but yet investing in the stock market. These are more uh, ideas of the ultra rich, kind of their attitudes. And so these are neat, too. And Mm -hmm. I think these are really important things for your long-term thinking of how you need to adjust your thinking if you want to want to hit it, you know, really big with uh with um your assets over time. So the millionaires, they talk about ideas and not things. That's the first thing on the list here. So they're idea people. Um it's not cars, movies, or other people that aren't inter- it's not that they aren't interesting to individuals, but they tend to focus more on big ideas for the future more than on the minutia of what's happening in the present. You know, millionaires, they're usually creative, he says, and they spend time thinking about new ideas and how to create new things. Yeah, so he goes on to say uh, middle-class people talk about cars and movies. Millionaires, they own the car companies and they produce the movies. Uh, They understand that the ideas are the most valuable asset in the world. And to become more successful, you must continually expand your mind. And in a world that's always changing technology, um, it'd be wise to spend some time thinking up new ways or or doing new things. I think about Shark Tank and all the people that come up with ideas. I sit there sometimes and go, well, yeah, I should have thought of that. It sounds so easy, some of them. Some of them are amazing, yeah. They really are. So um, you know, think about ideas. That's very valuable. Also, millionaires take calculated risk. 
And while middle-class people often are content to stay in their lane, millionaires strive to move, move out of theirs. Put another way, the middle-class sometimes lives in fear of risking too much while millionaires tend to go for it. And, um, you know, the millionaires are able to overcome that fear and the middle class submits to it. So that's one of the differences is calculated risk. And I like that one. That's, that's very good. Yeah. I like that a lot too. He says millionaires, they overcome fear with knowledge. They educate themselves before taking risks. Then they consider the consequences of failing and they calculate the intensity of the risk versus the power of the reward. So if you can live with the worst thing that can happen, and if you if the most likely thing to happen will get you closer to your goals, then then go for it, he writes. And and I really like that attitude of kind of understanding the risk, taking the calculator risk with the odds in your favor mm-hmm. and on your side. And to me, that's like investing in a stock market. Yep. You know, you you you're you're going with your eyes open, you understand the risk of the ups and downs, you understand markets go down and you can lose money. But the odds are in your favor, so, you know, you take that risk, and, and that's what he's talking about here. Yeah, number three on the list here is millionaires are, are generous. Um, most middle-class people often believe they can't afford to give. Um, rich people see generosity as a necessity. Uh, most millionaires believe in the law of sowing and reaping. They see money as a seed, and um, they know if they're generous, they they, they could uh, receive more in return. So, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, it's not, it doesn't mean that when you give, you're actually going to get it back. But I think the giving attitude, the giving spirit, um, being in business, other people see that and they probably want to do business with that person, right? So right. I think there's some validity to the generous nature of millionaires. Doesn't mean middle class is not generous. That's, that's certainly not true either. No. But, but I think, you know, having that, that giving spirit is a good thing. So um, another one, last one here on the list is millionaires cultivate multiple sources of income. Uh, the more sources of income you have, the more potential you have to to rake it in big um, if you hit on something very, very good. So Smith gives the example of a fisherman with one line cast versus a fisherman with five lines. And he asks the question, who's going to catch more? So if you can develop multiple streams of income, um, it means letting go of the mindset that often holds, you, holds the middle class back. And the idea that you must do everything yourself um, puts extreme limits really on your financial potential. So having some different sources of income is a good thing. That's right. And, you know, one of the part of this is millionaires, they kind of have a different belief, he writes. You know, they believe that they can find someone not only can do it, who can do it as well as them, but can do it even better. So they have no problem finding the right person, turning something over to somebody they can trust that has some good skills that can uh, do a job even better than them. And he emphasizes that, you know, creating sources of passive income is crucial to building wealth. That means putting the effort in up front, but eventually leaving more qualified people in charge so that they can move on to the next income generating project. So don't try to be in charge of everything. That only leaves to burnout. So it's a good point. Yeah. And uh, millionaires focus on the big picture. Um, they don't necessarily get bogged down in the details. So they understand kind of what makes um, makes the business work. And again, this is a divergence from the middle class mindset that you have to do everything yourself. So the middle class believes that if you attempt to build multiple sources of income, you'll spread yourself too thin. But I think, you know, what you talked about, having good people around you and, you know, making sure that you have processes and so forth allows you to go and to, to do some different things. So these are some good ideas. Um, I agree with you, Steve. There's a lot of different ways to get to uh, being a millionaire. These are ultra 
millionaires that they're talking about, but I do like the, um, some of the things they talked about, the ideas and the calculated risk and so forth. Anybody exactly. can do that. And that's right. Quite frankly, that's what a lot of entrepreneurs do. Uh, they may right. not be ultra rich, but entrepreneurs are out there doing their own thing, whether they own gas stations or lawn businesses and so forth. That means taking a risk. They're taking calculated risk and investing in the stock market is a calculated risk. That's exactly right. So it's the same thing. And then, you know, and the millionaire next door talks about, you know, being willing to invest in the stock market, invest in equities. So some of this does bleed over into the average millionaire next door that has maybe a million or two. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that's a great list. All right. I like it. Let's, uh, and that'll move us on here to the last thing. And that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, Steve, you know, in your first segment, you talked about the retirement steps. And one of those is kind of taking inventory of your assets and you listed pensions on here. And it's, it's interesting. Right. There's about 42 million pension plans, according to Fidelity, about 71% of people don't understand the details. So that's a shame. it's almost impossible to do a retirement plan if you don't have some of your information from pension plans to social security to your balances and so forth. So if you do have those benefits, you know, there's a lot of teacher benefits out there and we talk to people all the time that they just don't have an idea of what it's going to look like in retirement. That is so critical to understand your, what your pensions are from your companies. Yeah. And if you're lucky enough to be one of the ones that still has a pension plan as they're kind of going the way of the dinosaurs, you need to take the time to understand what it's going to look like and how it's going to contribute to your retirement picture because it's likely a very key component of your your retirement picture. So take the time, understand the formula, understand what it's going to look like when you hit age 58 or 60 or 62 or 65, whatever it is that you're targeting for retirement. Know what your pension's going to look like. I think that's a great prescription of the week. Okay, that's been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info.moneymd.net. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Smart Investor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Associates, a registered investment advisor.